0: I'm Arthur Falls. Welcome to the Internet Computer Weekly. This time, we have community organizer Moritz Fuller, who's been with the Definity community since the really early days. When did you join, Merz? Oh, good question. I
1: think I joined early 2018, I think in January or something. And I found their Telegram group and I joined, but yeah, there were just like, I don't know, 500 people in there. I don't even know if it was moderated at that time actively. So at the same time, Michael Hunter joined the foundation and I reached out to him and asked him if he needs help with the chat, because I would love to like help out and make this a better and safer place for all of the other people that are in there. I also hosted like meetups in Berlin. So I created a meetup group, which has, I don't know, a couple of hundred members right now. I didn't do any meetup for a while now because of COVID, but Back in the days, I tried to do one at least every, I don't know, two to three months. And it was always pretty cool. Luckily, the foundation was like nice enough to send people over. So we had some really nice guest speakers like you, Arthur, for example. I think you've been there at least two times <laughs> <laughs> We're in very early days. So yeah, it's been three crazy years. Three very exciting years, honestly. Okay. I'm not with DFINITY anymore. But yeah, I'm basically focused on the Definity ecosystem and also building some things
0: on top of the internet computer. So you're working on a front-end as well for Liquity, right? And Liquity is made by Robert Larko, who also used to be at Definity, And you're attempting to bring this front-end to the internet computer. Do I have that right?
1: Yes, that's correct. I met Robert a couple of years ago when he also used to work for Definity. I think he was actually one of their first hires. Yeah, he's a really bright mind. And after he left DFINITY, I kind of followed him and see what he was up to. And then I found out that he was building Liquity, which you just mentioned. And yeah, Liquity is a protocol built on Ethereum that allows you to borrow their stablecoin, which is called LUSD, against Ethereum as a collateral at 0% interest rate. And what I also liked about their approach was that they do not want to host their own front end. So basically, they incentivize other people to host front ends to interact with the liquidity protocol.
0: How does the incentive system work for the decentralized front ends on liquidity?
1: There's like a mechanism where you can deposit their stablecoin, which is called LUST, into a stability pool and This basically gives you like staking rewards of their SEC currency, which is called LQTY. And when you deposit LUSD into the stability pool to stake it, the deposit is tagged with an address from the front-end provider. And you can set the thing that is called a kickback rate. So the kickback rate basically decides like how big the percentage of the rewards is that goes back to the user. And on the other hand, at the same time, how big the percentage is that the front-end provider gets. So if you would use my front-end, and I have a kickback rate set at 99%, which is actually the case, this would mean that 99% of all of the rewards you gain from depositing your LUSD into the disability pool go into your pocket, and 1% of the rewards go to me as a front-end provider. So this is the incentivization mechanism to get people to use front-ends. Well, not use front but host front-ends. But all the other transactions are basically free.
0: Right. Okay. This is the only fee charged in the system. And then you get to choose which front-end provider you use. They all may charge different fees. Some of them may have better user experiences. So there's your differentiation. Yeah. So I started out with just hosting the front-end from a normal server, like everyone else does.
1: And then the internet computer became public. And I decided to host a frontend on the internet computer. This is pretty cool because not a frontend is not only decentralized in terms of that there are many front-end providers, but my front-end actually is decentralized again
0: because it runs from a blockchain and not from a server. Are there any plans to make an ICP version of Liquidity? Yeah, that's a very good question. The Liquity
1: protocol received funding from the Beacon Fund. So yeah, this is a clue, <laughs> maybe, but I haven't heard of any like really concrete plans to do this. I mean, at the moment we speak right now, canisters can't like hold ICP yet. So I don't know if something like this would even work technically without
0: doing some hacky things. Right, yeah. So we've got to wait for canisters to be able to hold ICP before this kind of DeFi application can go live. I
1: would say so, yes. And because Robert is very like security first-minded, I don't think he would take this approach. To be honest, like maybe the stablecoin thing wouldn't be so interesting, but I, for example, would love to have something where I can like put my ICP up as a collateral and get some stablecoin out of it on the other end. Because if the ICP price is low, people don't want to like sell their tokens. For example, right now, I don't know, I could imagine that there are not so many people that want to sell ICP below forty dollars. And yeah, it would be cool if there would be some mechanism like in liquidity where I can just like put my ICP in a trough and then over collateralize it and get some LUSD out because yeah, I bet on the price or the value of ICP rising in the future. Because now if I want liquidity, I have to sell my tokens. And if in the meantime, the price goes up or the value of ICP raises, I have to buy it back at a higher price.
0: Are there any other interesting DeFi applications that you see emerging on the internet computer?
1: Yeah, InfinitySwap is pretty nice. I think they already were at your show. It's a cool team. And then the other thing I'm aware of is like Definance, which is basically doing the same thing as InfinitySwap. But yeah, they're a Chinese team, as far as I know. But also for them, same thing right now. There are no tokens to swap. So yeah, an automated market maker or something like Uniswap on the IC is really early right now, but maybe those guys can like help to allow other projects to create their own tokens. And yeah, it's going to be very interesting in the meantime, like what people are going to choose. Are they going to go the way of the service network system and use this model and create tokens? And then the question is, what is the token standard this service network system is using? Or are they going to use platforms like Definance or InfinitySwap to launch their own tokens?
0: Right, because the Service Nervous System is essentially an NNS-type system that is available for anyone on the internet computer to use for their own application. Exactly, yeah.
1: And I think they are currently working on pushing this out. So I could imagine that this might be available this year even. And, and yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I think this is a super nice thing to do. Yeah, so I'm aware of the the definers team and I know them from the forums. They are pretty active. They're like their developers. Yeah, they do some cool projects for the community as well. I mean, they released their own token standard. I don't know, there are like four or five different NFT standards and ERC-like token standards out there right now. So it's going to be interesting what the community consolidates on. They do some cool things. And I think they released like a test net a couple of weeks ago. And I also tried it out. You can create, like, tokens there with their token standard. You can create, like, token pairs to swap them. And I think you can even
0: also farm, but I have no idea how this works. So DeFinance, obviously it has to upgrade its canister. I mean, that is one of the core features of the internet computer is upgradable canisters. How do they go about this process? And do they offer any guarantees for the security of tokens held there? And do they have a system for preventing the loss of data during upgrades? I only know about Motoko. I don't know how
1: it works in Rust. But there's like a Motoko keyword that's called stable that you can use on certain data types to persist your data during Canister upgrades. I think it's only available for fairly simple data structures. And most of the time, you use some more complex data structures in your Canister code. So what you usually do is, let's say there are like some hooks, like pre and post upgrade hooks. So when you want to upgrade your canister and the data you want to persist does not live in a data structure you can use with the stable keyword, you actually have to use like a pre upgrade hook where you take the data out of the more complex data structure, like read it out and put it into the less complex data structure that is declarable as stable. So you have to like transform this data. So basically the pre upgrade hook, like before the upgrade happens, takes the data out of the complex data structure into the stable, not so complex data structure. Like it fills your stable variable. And then after the canister got upgraded, of course, you want to take the data out of the stable data structure and put it back into the more complex, non stable data structure. So there's a post upgrade like hook or function. If you update your canister, it's very important to make sure that this works, because otherwise, basically, you just lose your data. And I think what they do to kind of prevent this risk a little bit, they created like an off-chain backup of their canister data. So basically, they have like their swap canister that's responsible for making all the swaps work like they should work. And they have like reserves for each pair, the history of the transaction user balances and all of that. And then on the other hand, they have like a history transaction storage canister and it's only there to store the entire transaction history since like their genesis. And so basically on their swap canister, they have like an endpoint, the history canister can call and the endpoint is restricted. So only like the canister ID of the transaction canister is actually able to call it and get some data out of it. So this way, the data or the transaction data is transferred from the swap canister to the transaction canister. And then again, there's an off-chain backup of this transaction canister. So they have like a server somewhere that calls the transaction canister again. I could imagine that the endpoint is restricted so that only authorized callers being able to get the data out of it. And then, yeah, they basically store the data out of the transaction. So all the transaction history since their genesis, they store this. As a backup of chain. That's what they do.
0: It's interesting. So this is actually a multi-canister design. Like not many applications so far have actually adopted this kind of approach. Most of them just sit in one canister.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's correct. But in this case it's only the transaction history. So I think the reason they did this was because the transaction history could like grow arbitrarily big after a while. It can become infinite. Like the more people use it, the more transaction data gets produced and the bigger the transaction history grows so in theory it's like unbounded you can grow until infinity so they also like did the split the functionality itself lives in the swap canister to provide the functionality and then to have like some backup of something i don't know dies if a subnet becomes unavailable or a canister gets hacked or something like this that they still have the transaction history from which they can basically Like replay what happened to get back to a very close state they had when the hack or the subnet outage happened. Basically, in terms of their functionality, they still use a single canister, and only the transaction history is stored outside of the canister. And I believe this has to do with the fact that there's no atomicity out of the box. Because if you're able to get atomicity, then you can have like multi canister infrastructures without having to worry about certain cases but i'm not too familiar with the whole subject so maybe <laughs> not the best person to talk about it some other things like some projects and also like definers we concerned about where like like some of them think that the network is not decentralized enough yet like normal application subnets have like several nodes in them and we don't have that many node providers at the moment so yeah for some people, that's a concern. And some people would love to see more nodes inside a subnet or yeah, see more node providers in general. And it feels like this process has been very slow, like onboarding new node providers. It seems like a slow process. And I don't know the reasons for it, but I think it would be great to kind of trying to speed it up a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's a bit weird that the whole thing with the boundary nodes is bizarre. I mean, I don't know. Do you know much about how the boundary nodes work and what they do? I know something, but it's not easy
1: to find out about boundary nodes because basically they exist, but there's no real documentation. Like They just get mentioned here and there, like the name boundary node is being dropped, but there's like not a single page in the documentation or a single article dedicated to what boundary nodes actually are. Yeah, I had some conversation with a definity engineer like asking him like what boundary nodes actually are. So I can just try and explain what I understood from the conversation. So it seems like when you try and send a message to a canister that it has to pass like a boundary node first. So the boundary nodes they sit in between the outside world and the internet computer network. So they're like some sort of gateway. And so right now it seems like they're Six boundary nodes on the edge of the Internet computer, and they are like scattered around the globe. You can actually see where they are located if you head over to dashboard.internetcomputer.org. There's a map, and I think the boundary nodes have a green color code. And to decide which one of these boundary nodes receives your message to forward it to the Internet computer nodes, there seems to be a DNS entry that routes you to a boundary node based on your location. And what a boundary node has to do, it basically has to take the message you want to send to a canister and then figure out where the nodes live that make up the subnet which hosts the canister you want to talk to. And the boundary nodes know how to forward the message to a replica or to a node based off the canister ID that's included in the message you're trying to send. And then what it does, it basically uses the canister ID and the information which is stored in the registry canister. Yeah, the registry canister is like a canister that lives in the network nervous system subnet and it keeps a routing table. So it has like a table that routes from canister IDs to subnets and then to nodes inside those subnets. The boundary node basically knows the IP addresses Of the network nervous system replicas. And the network nervous system replicas, in turn, all host identical copies of the registry canister. And the registry canister lists all subnets and all nodes on each subnet. And it maps from canister ID ranges to subnets. And the boundary node then forwards to the request you send and to one of the replicas that make up the subnet your application or your canister lives in that you want to talk to. The boundary needs also serve like the service worker that allows you to validate the content and it kind of proxies your calls to the internet computer. So if you ever visit like a domain on an internet computer without a raw keyword in between, so basically, for example, nns.ic0.app, you always see this like message installing service worker, this makes your experience more secure or something like this. So this service worker basically is provided by the boundary node. Then, if you send like a request, for example, from a front end or to an asset canister where you want to get some assets from it, then you send like an HTTP request. And what it also does is that it takes the HTTP request and transforms it into a representation the canister understands. And then, when the canister sends something back, it does the same thing again, but the other way around. And some problems that are that the first one is that the boundary nodes are not really open sourced. Then the second one is that there are only six boundary nodes. So it seems like maybe a bottleneck. Um, if there are too many requests coming in, maybe they can't handle all the traffic. And then it seems like to act like a gateway to the internet computer. And as for now, I believe at least all the boundary nodes are controlled by the Definity Foundation or the Internet Computer Association. So they might be able to, I don't know, censor you or block your access to the internet computer. And in my opinion, to have the internet computer completely decentralized, we also have to completely decentralize like the boundary nodes as
0: well. It sounds like I'm going to have to knock on Manu's door again and see if I can get him to weigh in on this whole boundary node shenanigans. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think it's important to shed some light on what they do,
1: how they work, like how critical they are in the whole infrastructure. And to be fair, it seems like everyone can host his own boundary node. So it's not like there's no authorization. It's hard to deploy your own.
0: So before we wrap up, Maritz, can you tell us a bit more about Waterslide? Because this is your Liquidity front end. I mean, really, this is your project. You've sat here and talked with me two sessions now for kind of half an hour a session about the internet computer and the projects you're interested in, but we've talked very little about the work you're doing yourself. Yeah, thanks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, let's go back for a bit. I don't know how much I said the last time, but one thing I wanted to mention is that the internet computer is actually like a perfect fit for frontends, for smart contracts or dApps or DeFi applications that are running on ETH in general. So I think like every DeFi application or every general application on Ethereum that has like a centralized approach to how it's front and should really take into consideration to move over to the internet computer because it has so many benefits. So I think the current state of the art is that most of them run off of some sort of centralized infrastructure or they use IPFS. So I'm not too familiar with IPFS and I don't know how secure or decentralized it is. I feel like it is some sort of secure and decentralized because otherwise it wouldn't make any sense for all of these projects to host their content on IPFS. But I'm sure there are some caveats somewhere. So the problem with like centralized infrastructure, like if you, for example, have like a big DEX and you run your front end from a centralized server like AWS or something, and you are basically not only developing the protocol that runs in a smart contract on Ethereum itself, but you're also developing the front end and you're basically the only provider of the front end. So if the regulatory landscape in your country changes and law enforcement is coming after you, you will have a hard time to keep your service up. You probably will have to either modify it or take it down. And if you open sourced the code that makes up the front end, It would allow other people to spin up, like in other maybe jurisdictions, spin up new websites which have the same functionality. But from a user perspective, that's kind of bad because it's hard for you to like know which one of these new websites you can trust and which one of them might be harmful to you. And also it basically only like shifts the problem to another place because there again if those websites again are hosted on centralized infrastructure the same thing could happen again so another thing that could happen is that your front end could be like hacked and would pose a risk to your users funds uh, so there's like a security issue with hosting a front end on a centralized service provider and also there are like some censorship problems i think uniswap recently removed the token pair due to some regulatory reasons and it kind of like shows that yes, the smart contracts and like the quote unquote back end on Ethereum is immutable and can't be censored, but the front end can. And if like the front end is the main gateway to interact with the protocol, the line gets a little bit blurry, in my opinion at least. And the Uniswap case shows that the front end provider can actually control how you interact with the underlying protocol by not surfacing certain things to you. And in general, I would say that, like, decentralized front-end approach mitigates this risk, like the thing Liquidity did, as there are many front-end providers out there and they probably do not all at the same time decide that they want to censor certain things from you or they all at the same time receive some sort of, like, takedown notice. But another, like, cool thing about running front-end off of the intent computer is that you can actually, like, verify the code that is being served to you from the front-end. You can be sure that it's, like, not being hacked or something if this holds true. So, to summarize all of this, if you host a front end on the internet computer, it's pretty nice because you have no platform risk, there's no censorship, there's no regulation. And what Definity claims is that there are no hacks. So, yeah, also in the future, it will be very interesting to kind of see what chain key technology could enable for front end providers for Ethereum devs. So, it would be super nice if we could maybe get rid of MetaMask and those other browser plugins and just use the internet identity to manage like Ethereum funds. This would be super nice. And yeah, in the long term, one of the goals was to become some sort of decentralized hub for front ends and yeah, provide like front ends for different DeFi protocols or I don't know, create like a marketplace or something. And we're also interested in becoming an open internet service when the service network system is being released sometime soon
0: it sounds like you're working on a lot more than i was aware of maritz i can't wait to find out what exactly it is when i listen back to this recording thanks all right man then talk to you soon yeah absolutely and let's get to work on some more content because we've been getting into this kind of stuff and there's a whole bunch we can do yeah i agree cheers man i'll catch you later The Internet Computer Weekly has a sister newsletter featuring news, project updates, interesting tidbits, and reading that come up over the course of the week. Together, they are part of a larger effort at ecosystem building we are calling the Cycle DAO. Visit cycledao.xyz to subscribe and learn more.